Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 25 of this chapter, Matthew's Gospel, and the 25th uh, verse is where we're going to take up our reading tonight. Very short reading, uh, one that I'm, perhaps if you're a Christian that you are familiar with, I'm sure that you've read many times, but we're thinking about the words of the Lord Jesus, and we're thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. It was the greatest sermon ever preached. There is not a preacher on earth could preach like the Lord Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's a very powerful sermon. It takes up chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And we're right in the heart of the sermon when he takes up this thought about trust and who you're trusting and what you're trusting. And he says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what shall you drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment, clothes? But the fowls of the air, or shall behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why ye take ye thought for raiment, for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, not dressed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. If you were to go to your computer this evening and Google in the word trust, just the word trust, you will find a whole slew of websites that you can look at that contain the word trust. But if you were going through the pages, you'd actually go through about 20 pages before you'd meet a single instance of where trust is spoken of in the sense of a belief in something or a belief in someone. There's all kinds of trusts that are mentioned on Google, financial trusts and businesses with trust in their names, companies that are eager to gain your trust and uh, set up personal trust, charitable trusts are listed, but nothing very much about putting your trust in anything or putting your trust in anyone. And when you do find an entry that is along that vein of thought, it's usually about mistrust. Psychiatrists offering help for those with trust issues, people who have been abused through infidelity or fraud who are struggling to trust others. And, 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 and really you don't find anything very much for a long time before you come to this idea of trusting someone for good, trusting someone uh, to help you or to bless you or aid you in some way. And, and yet with all trust 
is foundational in life, isn't it? We can't get through life without trusting people in some sense. And trust is essential to salvation. I want you to understand tonight, if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you're going to have to exercise a little bit of trust. You're going to have to believe in someone. You're going to have to trust in the Lord Jesus. Now, if you cannot trust God, you cannot trust anything. If you can't believe what God says, you certainly can't believe what men uh, say. And uh, herein lay the root problem of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You see, the Pharisees said they trusted God, but they did not trust God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, last week when we looked at this a passage. We saw how that they were laying up for themselves treasures upon earth, that they had a little business going there on the campus of the temple, and they were extorting money from people by means of exchange and the selling of animals at extortionate rates. And so really they were lining their own pockets, and in so doing they were trusting in their own, uh, their own efforts and their own works and their own means, and uh, whereby they could take care of themselves for tomorrow. Theirs was a religion really of, of good works, and works is the opposite of faith, the opposite of uh, trust. So no surprise then that Jesus in his sermon now turns his attention and that of his hearers to the matter of trust. And notice in verse 25, there is an injunction, a command. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat? And the body more than raiment. Now, verse 25 is not a suggestion. He's not coming and saying, you know, it's a good idea if you were to embrace this philosophy in your life that you would be better off. No, it's a command. It's a command that falls from the lips of the Lord Jesus. And anything that comes from the lips of the Lord Jesus comes with some degree of force. Now, notice his reason for giving this command. He says, therefore, when you see therefore in your Bible, the obvious question is, what is that therefore? Therefore. And it is connecting you into what has already been previously said. And in the previous past, previous verses, the Lord said that we cannot serve two masters. If you notice verse 24, either you'll hate one master and love the other, or you will hold to the one and despise the other. And then he concludes that whole section with this statement, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. You can't live for the things of this life and live for the things of God at the same time. Now, of course, these words were initially directed to the Pharisees who were part of the congregation to whom he was preaching. And remember, these men believed that by amassing wealth, they were somehow expressing God's blessing upon them. They thought the more that they had, though that was the more indicative of God's blessing resting upon them. It's a, it's a great fallacy. It's a lie. It's a deceit. It's a fallacy, I'm sorry to say, that is promoted by many televangelists today and many prosperity preachers. And they suggest to you that because they have jets to fly in and, and many mansions and, and the best of clothing and all the rest of it, that they somehow have the blessing of God upon them against others who don't possess these things. And Jesus gives the lie to that philosophy. Uh, What's more, these Pharisees thought that by their own effort, they could somehow impress both God and man, convincing them of their superior righteousness 
in comparison to others. Now, let me tell you something. The greatest mistake you can make in this life is to decide that your righteousness is measured by others. You'll always find somebody who has a lower level of, uh, of living, a lower standard of living than you do. You'll always find somebody who has lower morals than you have. And so that's not a good measure. That's not a good standard. Well, Jesus was rather underwhelmed by these pharisaical efforts and by this pharisaical uh, philosophy. And he told the people that if they were going to make it into the kingdom of heaven, that their righteousness would actually have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, that they would have to do better than the Pharisees, and that to serve God and money was a huge mistake, for you would either hate the one, as we just read, and love the other, or hold to the one and despise the other. In effect, he was accusing these Pharisees of actually hating and despising God by their own self-centered attitude and actions. And in the words of one writer, worry or anxiety over material things is practical atheism and an affront to God. Do you worry about your finances? Do you worry about your material things? Is that what uh, that occupies your mind? Is that what your life is driven by? Because if that's what your life is driven by, well, you've discounted God. You're practically living as an atheist. You may not say there's no God, but you're living as though there is no God. You're not trusting God for your supply day by day. So now he's about to expose their lack of trust in, in, the, in his father. And he says this three times, take no thought. See that in verse 25? He says, Wherefore, therefore I say unto you, take no thought. At verse 31, therefore take no thought. Verse 34, therefore take no thought. It means don't be preoccupied with something. Now, as I was reading there, I thought to myself, actually, probably on a daily basis, I must confess that I do probably take thought for these things. Uh, I do think about what I'm going to eat. I do think about what I'm going to drink. And I do think about what I'm going to wear. In fact, if the truth be told, that's the first things I think about in the morning when I wake up. My first thought is, I wonder what I'll have for breakfast. My second thought is, I wonder what I should wear today. Those are my thoughts. I confess, I'm a terrible sinner, but there you go. And so uh, those are my thoughts. And we all think those ways. Uh, But these people were preoccupied uh, with these things. It wasn't just their waking thought, it was their... It was their constant thought throughout the entirety of the day. They were always looking out for themselves. And when a man becomes preoccupied with material things and those things become the goal of his life, he soon becomes anxious about his physical needs. He becomes preoccupied with what he's going to eat, with what he's going to drink, with what clothing he's going to wear and where he's going to live. You see, here's the thing. You know, many of us, we'd like to be wealthy and we'd like to have some of the riches of the, of the wealthiest people on earth. But I'm going to tell you something. The wealthiest people on earth have worries that you and I don't have. I don't have to worry that somebody's going to come and steal my millions because I don't have millions to steal. Uh, I don't have to park my car, as some people do, in two parking bays because they're fearful that somebody's going to scrape the side of their car. It's so precious. Uh, My car is not that precious. So I don't have those worries that other people have. uh, And I don't care so much about what the the rich and the wealthy of this world uh, care about. Matthew Henry said this, "The, The sin of disquieting, distracting, distrustful cares about the things of life are a bad sign that both the treasure and the heart are on the earth. In other words, if you're always worrying about your house, if you're always worrying about your car, if you're always worrying about your bank account, if you're always worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear, your focus is earthly. 
Your focus is worldly. It's a signal that your eye is evil, in Jesus' words. In other words, your vision is distorted, and everything is really out of proportion and out of perspective. So Jesus says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? And I think about this. Here's what he says. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment, more than clothing? That's a great question. It's a great challenge. You see, in our culture... And increasingly so, in atheistic thinking and secular thinking, the idea is, and this is what our young people would be taught in, in high school and university, and you may have been taught this, that you're nothing more than a collection of chemicals, that you're just a lump of animated meat, that that's all you are. You're just a bunch of cells that by unbelievable chance came together in the right order at the right time and formed you. That's all you are. You're just a machine. But are you just a machine? You see, Jesus says you're actually more than that. He says the body is more than uh, meat. He says that that your life is more than meat, that your body is more than uh, clothing. And the truth is, and we all know this, we all know that we're more than that. You see, we all know that there's something immaterial about us, that there's something deep inside of us that is quite distinct from the material world. There's something within us that, that, that is, goes beyond of space, time, and matter, that there's an eternal uh, part to us. Now, here's what I would suggest if you want to, do a, if you want to consider a, 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 an experiment along this line. Here, think about this. If I was an expert motor mechanic, which I'm not, I confess, But if I was an expert in motor mechanics, I could go out to my car and I could remove all the constituent parts of my car. I could take off the wheels. I could take off the exhaust system. I could take off the various parts of the engine, take the battery out and take the the spark plugs and the pistons and all the bits and pieces that make my car go. I could take the whole thing apart like a, uh, like a, a model kit and lay it all out in the car park out there. And if I was a master mechanic, I could take those parts and I could put that car back together again. Put it all back exactly as I found it and get in and turn the key. And guess what? The car would go. That's a machine. Now, if I'm a master surgeon and I were to take Wolfie here and lay him on my table in my theater and take my scalpel and start cutting Wolfie apart, So, you know, I began by cutting off his head. (laughs) Sounds a little gruesome, doesn't it? Wilfie, sorry, he came tonight. Uh, Cutting off his head, you know, taking out his eyeballs, removing his tongue, you know, taking his ears off, all the bits that make up Wilfie, cutting off his arms and his legs, taking out his heart and his spleen and his liver and his kidneys and his lungs and his his various parts, his pancreas or whatever, and I lay them all out on a table, and I, and I say, now I know how all these parts fit. I know how this all fits. There's Wolfie's brain. It's not very big, but there's Wolfie's brain. Amen. <laughs> the fact that he said amen to that shows it's not very big. Uh, but, but I put all these parts out on a table, and then knowing, knowing how these things fit together in the body, I take them and I put them back together again. Question. Is wealthy going to live? No. no. You see, the car might go, but wealthy's not going to go. Why? 
Because wealthy is not a machine. You are not a machine. There's something different about you and the machine. There's a part to you that no amount of knowledge or information or education can possibly explain. And that's the fact that you are built for eternity. So with the future and with eternity in mind, here's my question for you tonight. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust about your eternal future? Who are you going to lay your weight upon with respect to tomorrow? You see, if matter is all that you are, if you are just a mere machine, I would say to you, well, then this life is all there is and material things are all that matters. And I would say to you, get all the wealth that you can get and build the biggest house and have the biggest, fastest car and and enjoy the finest clothes and go to the best restaurants and make the best of it because this is all there is. If that's the fact that you're just a machine, but the fact that you're not a machine The fact that this life is not all there is, that matter is not all there is, that every one of us is heading out into eternity and there's an immaterial part of you that is going to stand and give an account of himself or herself if we're God. Listen, if there's a God in heaven and there's a life to come, then we ought to place our trust and our welfare into his hands because life does not end at the grave. Now, Jesus gives a couple of illustrations here. Look at his illustrations in verses 26 through 30. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, nor yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow was cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now, as I said at the outset, the Lord Jesus was a master preacher. And good preachers have good illustrations, and he knew better than anyone how to paint a picture and how to make his point uh, come home. And so he draws upon illustrations from nature and the world around us to underscore his point. And so by way of correction to the worldly philosophy of the Pharisees who thought, well, this life is all there is and we might as well make the most of it. In contrast to that, he points them to the natural world and he uses the birds above our heads and he uses the flowers beneath our feet and he highlights in those things the faithful provisions of God. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. You know, no bird ever worried about where his next meal is coming from. You know, I don't know about you other husbands, but I'm sure it's true of all of us. I think this is true mostly that the men don't worry much about the birds, but the women are always concerned about feeding them. Do you know what I think? I mean, I don't personally, you know, if, we have ever bought, if we've ever bought a little bird box, it's because my wife pointed it out, usually. Not because I wanted one necessarily. And, and yet with all, birds don't worry about whether you're feeding them seeds or not. The truth is the bird doesn't care. The bird's not fretting about tomorrow. He doesn't think about where his worms are coming the next day, where they're coming from the next day. He doesn't worry about where the seeds are coming from. He's going to get something. In other words, he's trusting his creator. 
He's trusting his creator for tomorrow. You know, no fox ever fretted because he had only one hole in which to hide. No squirrel ever died of anxiety over the possibility that he hadn't put away enough nuts for winter. Uh, no dog ever lost any sleep over the fact that he had not enough bones laid aside for his, uh, his declining years. And yet those are, those are the way that men think. Now, those animals don't have the intelligence to think that through, but men, having intelligence, think through their future and they want security and they want to know that everything's under control and they've been provided for. And so they worry about these things and in worrying about those things, they reveal a lack of trust in God. You see, the fact remains that to engage in such anxious care is both foolish and sinful. It's foolish because it doesn't help the situation. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit onto a stature? Now, a cubit is 18 inches. It's from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow. It's about 18 inches or half a meter approximately. And so the Lord says, whoever worried about their height and then discovered because they worried about their height that they grew an extra foot and a half the next day. That would be nice, wouldn't it? You know, I didn't realize till many years ago that I was the shortest member of my family until one day I saw a wedding photograph with myself and my three brothers, and it suddenly occurred to me that I was the shortest of the three brothers, which was really disappointing to my soul. And so, uh, you know, I, I could worry about that. But listen, if I worried about it, would I suddenly be the tallest of the brothers? course not. It would be a futile exercise. And that's the point Jesus is saying. It's foolish because if you worry, worry doesn't change anything. He says it's sinful because all anxiety in any form is a, a practical atheism. It's a lack of genuine trust in God. And we should realize that the God of heaven provides, who provides for the birds and provides uh, for, the, for nature, also is a God who puts great value upon us. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 26, having spoken about the birds he says, are you not much better than they? Who does God value more, man or animals? Man or the birds? Who indeed is made in his image, man or animals? Man is made in his image. You're made in his image. And God is concerned about you. He's wanting to provide for you. And therefore, the antidote to anxiety is to exercise a childlike trust in God. Faith and his care over us enables us to live out one day at a time. Now, that's not to say we're to be careless or foolish about tomorrow, but we're to be free from undue concern over it and with a preoccupation about it. Now, notice verse 28. He looks at the flowers of the field. And he says, And why take you thought for raiment, for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Now, this is a reference to the hula lily, uh, which grows wild in certain parts of Israel. And, uh, you know, we are familiar with the lilies. Those are the lilies that very often you'll see in funeral uh, times at, uh, on the coffin or in the home. You'll smell those lilies. Those are hula lilies. But not even the greatest of kings, not even the wealthiest of kings, King Solomon in verse 29, who had a, you know, had a, 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 great, a great library of, of things, a great a, a storehouse of things that he owned, not even he and all of his wealth and all of his riches could possibly clothe himself in something as beautiful as the petals of a lily. 
And so what the Lord is saying is this. He's saying to these people, you know, you who are striving for possessions, you who are wanting to own the best clothing, the designer clothing, you know, those, you know even, those, even your top brands, even that which royalty wears, is no match for the clothing of the wildflowers of the field. Now notice the application in verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, if God takes such care of lilies, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? You see, this is a matter of faith. You know, we, I'm not much of a, of a gardener, I confess, uh, but, you know, by nature, a flower is something that is temporary. It blooms and then it's gone. And, and uh, we used to have a beautiful plant in our garden many years ago, a, a camellia. And I loved that flower. I loved that plant that, you know, it would, it would flower around this time of year, around May. And I, every year I take a picture of it and have this beautiful show of flowers. And I always thought it was a stunning plant. I always liked having it in my garden. And here was the thing. First wind, what happened? Every petal was gone, cleared off, and you were left back with this shrub with no color on it whatsoever. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. He's saying that's the folly of materialism. You can own a nice house. You can have a nice car. You can wear nice clothes. You can eat at the best restaurants. And you can enjoy all of, the, all of the possessions and all of the material things that this world has to offer. But understand, there's a wind coming. And when that wind comes, you're going to have nothing. Okay? You're going to have nothing. Right. Wolfie, would you do me a favor? Um, Trevor, also, would you open the windows, please? You don't know, it's getting a little hot and stuffy in here. Wolfie, could you open these windows for me, please? Thank you. So, this is Jesus' point. If, if God then exercises such care over the lesser things in life, over the birds and over the flowers, you know, is he not going to take care of you? Can't you trust him to take care of you? Now, listen to me tonight. Your soul is going somewhere. Your soul and your person is more than matter. You're not just a physical being. You're not just a a machine. You're someone who's destined for eternity. So the question is, who are you going to trust for eternity? Who are you going to put your care, your heart's care in? Who are you going to lay up uh, your heart to with respect to the eternity that's about to dawn? See, this is Jesus' point. Don't you think if God is concerned about birds, if he's concerned about sparrows, and, and he's concerned about thrushes, and he's concerned about blackbirds, and he's concerned, don't you think he's concerned about you? If God is concerned about flowers, don't you think God values you? That he's concerned about you? You see, here's the thing. When a man worries about his future on this life, and he's always concerned about his time, and when he plans for his own personal security with respect to time, and then and his life is preoccupied with those things, his faithless heart is revealed. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, O ye of little faith. You see, here's the thing. Faith tells me God loves me. Faith tells me Christ died for me. Faith tells me he will never leave me nor forsake me. Faith tells me that my future, both temporal and eternal, are in his hands and I have nothing to fear. Now look at verse 31. Notice his invitation. Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? 
or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There was an historian, an essayist in the uh, 19th century by the name of Thomas Carlyle. Thomas Carlyle was really, you know, uh, the voice of his age. He was considered to be the man of the moment. And uh, you can go and visit his home today in Chelsea in London. It's owned by the National Trust. And, uh, and if you were to go to that property today and view the home of Thomas Carlyle, you'll find an interesting thing. You'll find that Thomas Carlyle soundproofed his house so that he couldn't hear what was going on outside and that he could work uh, in peace, work in silence. But one of his neighbors kept a rooster and several times during the night this rooster would crow and uh, it would waken Carlyle. And so Carlyle complained about the crowing of the rooster to the owner. And the owner pointed out that the, that the rooster only crowed three times a night. And after that, there wouldn't be any trouble from the rooster. And he says, surely that can't be such a terrible annoyance. You know, surely you can, once the third crows over, you know it's done and you can rest easy. Well, this is what Carlyle said. He said, if only you knew what I suffer waiting for that rooster to crow. <laughs> you know, I think there's a natural part in all of us that can identify with that. Do you ever set an, an alarm for early in the morning, like four o'clock or something? Maybe you've got to get a flight somewhere, you're going on holiday, and you've got to be up, and you've got to be at the airport, and you've got to get on the road for, you know, five o'clock, so you set the alarm for four o'clock, so as you can get washed and dressed and, and maybe have a little bit of breakfast and head out. How do you sleep that night? <laughs> you don't sleep that night, do you? You know, you set, you set your alarm. In our house, you know, I'll set my alarm. Hazel will set her alarm. And we both have our alarm set. But how do you sleep? Even knowing that both of you have your alarm set, you're still waking up. You're still going, what time is it? You're checking the time. You're constantly concerned that you're going to miss that alarm. And that's the reality. You know, the, the novelist A.J. Cronin said this, Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its strength. And that's a good example of that. Now, by far, far worse than that, worry is an indication that God, as far as this life is concerned, cannot look after us. Worry puts a question mark where God has placed a full stop. We're doubting God. Just like we're doubting that alarm. You set that alarm. You set two alarms. You say, I know those alarms are going to ring at four o'clock and I know I'm going to wake. But I wonder, just in case, I'm doubting the technology. I'm doubting the ability of the alarm sound to wake me. And so it is with God. If I am preparing my future, if I'm taking care of my needs, if I'm continually squirreling away my money because I have to have security, do you see how, what I'm doing? I'm doubting God's provision. So the Lord Jesus says, take no thought for, uh, no, take, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? He says, you have no need to worry about the future and about tomorrow. And that's the right reality of the Christian life. Faith leaves tomorrow in the hands of the one who holds it. 
Faith leaves tomorrow in the hands of the one who holds it. So stop worrying about possessions and material things. Uh, Stop having a concern for those things because that concern is only indicative of a worldly, earthly spirit that has no eternal vision. Look what Jesus says there in verse 32. For after all these things, things to eat, things to drink, things to be clothed in, do the Gentiles seek. You know, every now and then we go shopping, we go to a shopping mall somewhere. And I, I don't really like shopping. I, to be honest with you, after five minutes I have a pain in the back and my legs start to hurt and I feel like I've got to sit down somewhere. Hazel once said to me, Hi, come, hi, come, she You can go and play golf all day and your back doesn't hurt and your legs don't hurt. You can fish all day and your back doesn't hurt and your legs don't hurt. But it hurts. But it's true. And so sometimes I will sit on a bench. You know, in the shopping mall, if I can find somewhere to sit, I'll sit on a bench. And occasionally I'll people watch. And there are people in shopping malls and they have a look in their eye like a hunter. I mean, they're after something. And they are making a beeline. And they're, you know, particularly if you get in around like the sales period, it's crazy. And people have, or Christmas, they have this, this look in their eye that says, don't get in front of me. Don't defy me. You know, my life depends on this. That's the worldly spirit that Jesus is talking about. He's saying your life doesn't depend on those things. Your life doesn't depend on worldly goods. It doesn't depend on possessions. It doesn't depend on money. It depends on me. So for people who are caught up in such futile and faithless exercise, Jesus gives these words of advice. First of all, put first things first. Get your priorities right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things which are peripheral shall be added unto you. There's his first piece of advice. Here's his second piece of advice. Live one day at a time. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Here's how James puts this. He says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. Here's the thing. You're worrying about tomorrow and Jesus said you need to worry about today. You see, you're worrying about tomorrow and Jesus says you need to think about eternity. And you need to think about it today. He says you need to seek first the kingdom of God. You need to get your priorities right. You need to realize that you only are going to go through this life one day at a time. You're not promised tomorrow. And James says this. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. You're gone. You see, the truth is, while you're worrying about tomorrow's securities and pensions and and, and plans, tomorrow may never come. Tomorrow may never come. Any one of us could die today. And our best laid plans alongside all our treasured possessions are gone. So right now, today is all you have. This is it. You don't necessarily have tomorrow. I don't necessarily have tomorrow. Even young people among us can't say, I have tomorrow. You don't know that. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So 
faith then says, I will trust God today and I will trust him for today and I will trust him with respect to the tomorrows as well because tomorrow is his business, not my business. I'm going to trust him for eternity. But the truth is, you cannot trust someone you do not know. Let me give you an illustration of this. When Hazel and I were were dating, I used to get a bus at 11 o'clock in the evening. And uh, that bus would take me home, obviously. And I would leave her home about half past 10 in the evening. And I would walk down to the bus stop at Woodville Park in Belfast. Now, if you don't know where Woodville Park in Belfast is, it's a pretty rough neighborhood. And in the heart of the Troubles, it was a terribly rough neighborhood. And the area was very dark at the time, so you'd be standing at a very dark bus stop, and you never were quite sure what was going to happen that evening, so you would always go there in a little bit of trepidation and fear and uh, hope that you got on that bus and you would get home safe and well. So anyway, I would go to this bus stop with a degree of regularity, and uh, one evening there was this big, ugly fella came up beside me at the bus stop, skinhead. You know, one of the hard men from the 19, uh, 1970s, 1980s. Big, big, ugly guy. And he's standing right beside me. And he says this. Stick your hand out. And I looked at him. And he says, stick your hand out. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to fight him. <laughs> so I very obediently and meekly stuck my hand out. And I did this. And I was waiting for him to pull a machete out and just chop my arm off. And I'm standing there waiting to see what he's going to do. And then something landed in my hand. And I turned around and there was a piece of bread. And he began to take his chips out and put the chips into the bread. (laughs) And then he put the other piece of bread on top of it. And he had made himself a chip putty off my hand. (laughs) This could only happen to you in Belfast. But but anyway, why was I so reluctant to put my hand out? Because I didn't know the man. You know, if one of you later on, and I know you, and you say to me, hey, pastor, stick your hand out. I'd stick my hand out. I think, oh, there's a joke coming. Something funny's going to happen. But when a complete stranger comes to you and says, stick your hand out, you're thinking, why would I stick my hand out? Why would I do that? And so you're fearful of exercising trust in someone you do not know. Now, let me wind back a little bit, little bit, or let me move a little bit forward in my life. When I was a young man, Hazel and I were going to buy a house. We were hoping to buy a house. We had sold our house in Belfast. We had moved to Dublin, and we had the money that we made on our house in Belfast. It wasn't very much money, uh, but we had about £5,000, and we put that aside, and we said, we're not going to touch that because someday we're going to buy a house. Now, Pastor O'Gorman was with us back in last October. He had just been saved, and he was going to go to Bible college in America. But to go to Bible college in America, he had to have a certain amount of money in the bank. And he was a little bit short of the money that he had in the bank. And in any case, he was selling his house. So we had this idea that we could buy his house, and we would give him our £5,000 as a deposit, and he would go off with that, and he would go to Bible school, and then we would get a mortgage, and, and everything would be hunky-dory. And that was the theory, okay? And actually, that's what happened in the end. 
But to cut a long story short, I had to go to the various banks and building societies trying to get a mortgage. And I went to a bank right across the street from where I used to live. And I went across to the Bank of Ireland where I knew the manager quite well, lovely man. And I said to him, you know, I'd like a mortgage. And we began to discuss it. And he says, well, you know, what deposit have you got? Well, I says, well, I've, I've gave, I have 5,000 pounds and I've given it to the house owner. He says, what do you mean you've given it to the house owner? I said, well, he was going to America and he needed £5,000, and I gave him £5,000, and he's gone to America. And he said to me, well, did you have a solicitor involved? And I said, no. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, let me get this straight. Now, I understand this is 1986 or 87, 88, somewhere in around there. He says, let me get this straight. He says, you gave somebody £5,000 of your money, and they have gone to America, and you don't have a receipt for the five thousand pounds. No. <laughs> and he said, "Why would you do that? Why would you give somebody five thousand pounds, knowing that they're going to leave the country with your money and go to America?" And I said, "Because I trust him." I said, "He's my brother, <laughs> and I trust him." And he was not a Christian man. He couldn't get his head around it. And he was just shaking his head. But why would I give £5,000 to someone who is going to leave the country and not have so much as a slip of paper to say that I had given him the £5,000? The answer is that I knew him and I trusted him with my future. Friends, that's how it is with Jesus. You see, it's all about who you know and who you trust. And if you know the Lord, you can rest in him no matter what. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Because your trust is in the Lord. You know him. You can trust him with your very soul. Now my question to you tonight is this. Do you know him? Is Jesus your saviour? Have you placed your tomorrows into his nail-scarred hands? You see, if you have, he'll, take, he'll save you and he'll take care of you. And if you're not a believer tonight, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to do three things. Number one, I want you to admit that you're a sinner. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Admit that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that God is right and you're wrong. That God is holy and you're unholy. That he is perfect and you're sinful. Just acknowledge it. Admit it. Confess it. Say, Lord, I'm, I've messed up. I'm, I'm a sinner. And then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second thing you need to do. And to believe in him is to trust him. It's to say, I will put my soul's care in him. I will trust him for tomorrow. I will trust him for eternity. I will trust him to save me. I will trust him to keep me. I'll trust him to take care of me. And then thirdly, confess him. Confess him. Tell others. I have put my trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. I have trusted him with my soul. I believe he is my savior. You know, the Bible says if you'll do that tonight, God would be willing to save you. He'd be willing to forgive you all your sins, to give you a fresh start and take care of all your tomorrows. 
I wonder tonight if you would come to Christ and make that admission. Pray that prayer and put your trust in him and confess him before men. Maybe you're here tonight as a believer and you're struggling with anxiety in some area. Well, that too is a faithlessness. But remember this, the Bible says, and King David confessed, my times are in thy hand. Friend, if you're a Christian tonight, you've nothing to worry about. God has it all in hand and he's worthy of our daily trust. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this evening.